Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us in worship. God is good, is he not? I love that song, and every time I sing that song, I don't know about you, but my, my emotions just kind of well up inside as I think about all the ways in which our good God seeks to bless his children, seeks to bless us, in which we could never even think of. God meets us in those moments, and he blesses us. He gives us life. He gives us joy. He fills us with his spirit. He enables us to gather in community and worship and study his truth and really grow together. And I am so immensely thankful for that. You know, it's been a, it's been a bit of a busy week for me. I'm just going to be honest with you. We had, a, we had a guys and girls all-nighter Friday night and Saturday. So I'm coming off of very, very little sleep. And in the midst of it, I happened to pick up a head cold. So, so you take uh, little sleep, highly medicated, um, with, with a very busy schedule. I guess the question is what could possibly go wrong with a preaching engagement on a Sunday morning. But for better or worse, I'm here. You're stuck with me. Um, but hopefully we'll have a, a wonderful time of just investing together in our growth as the people of God. I'd ask if you would, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11 this morning. It's a large chunk of scripture, um, but it's got a very, very beneficial lesson, I think, for each and every one of us here this morning. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And as we get started here this morning, I just want to begin by saying nobody really likes a feeling of ineffectiveness, right? We've all probably been there before at some point in our lives or another, whether it be being asked to play a sport that you don't know how to play. Have you ever been in a situation in physical education back to your grade school or your high school years when the focus is a sport that you've never played before and you're feeling like, you know what, if I step out and I play, I'm going to look like a fool and I don't want to look like a fool. Whether it's a sport you don't know how to play or leading an initiative when you lack the skills required or for me... So I, I have two daughters, and we have these things called daddy-daughter dances. I'm a horrible dancer, horrible dancer. I hate stepping out on a dance floor, not knowing how to dance, knowing I'm going to look like a fool, or stepping into the unknown when you lack the confidence in your ability to bring the situation to a successful end. Nobody likes the feeling of ineffectiveness. In the service industry, we've all undoubtedly experienced ineffectiveness um, in some sort of or another. McDonald's, right? You go in and you're dealing with a waitress or a waiter or somebody that's serving you that doesn't really know what they're doing. Super frustrating. Or hiring out a job to be done. When you get a crew that comes and they don't really know how to do what they're supposed to be doing. Or asking your kids to help you with a project. When you know full well the yard is not going to get raked to the level that you desire. <laughs> Nobody likes the feeling of ineffectiveness. You know, but one area of life you hope to never encounter ineffectiveness is in the operating room, right? You hope to never encounter that. You know, I, I stumbled onto something the other day and it just made me laugh. Um, and I figured I'd share it with you. Signs of surgical ineffectiveness. Things you never want to overhear your surgeon say. Here's one. Better save that. We'll need it for the autopsy. 
Somebody call the janitor. We're going to need a mop. Or, wait a minute. If that's the spleen, what's this? What do you mean it's upside down? Oh, no. Has anyone seen my Rolex? Does tab A go into slot C or slot F? Rats. Page 47 of the manual is missing. You know, as much as we can chuckle over the silliness of extreme examples of ineffectiveness in the physical realm. You know, the Apostle Peter addresses an ineffectiveness that is far more important and a far more important area of life in which we need to combat this tendency, this battle with ineffectiveness. He speaks of it in our text this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And the calling for us is laid out in this text for us as believers to live life to its fullest, to embrace all that God has for us as we seek to grow into the image of his beloved son. You know, this text is broken up, I think, into three key areas that are going to serve as our markers this morning. It's going to help us as we seek to understand all that this apostle has to say about combating ineffectiveness in our walk with God. First of all, I think we're going to see the means to leading an effective Christian life. Secondly, we're going to see the method for leading such a life. How do we do it, right? That's always the question. How do I get there? And then lastly, this morning, we're going to look at the outcome of pursuing this life, this this life of purpose, this effective Christian life. And before we dive into those points, let's start with reading our text together. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 11. Hopefully you've had time to get there. Peter writes this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and his very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, as we open up this passage this morning, we open up our text this morning, we start with seeing the means to leading an effective Christian life. But you might be asking yourself, Mike, what, is, what do you mean when you say an effective Christian life? Well, we see it spelled out in this text. The goal is godliness, right? 
That's what Peter desires for for the followers of Jesus to obtain. He wants them to become partakers of the divine nature. It's as if he's saying, guys, I want you to be what God has made you to be. I want you to live life to its fullest. I want you to forsake the ways of this world. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world, he says. I want you to lead this effective Christian life. So what is the goal? It's godliness. It's living a life that's passionately devoted to God, both inwardly, in the way that I think and I feel regarding spiritual things, but it's also an outward expression that demonstrates to God this appetite, this love, this affection. The power source, though, is something unique. You know, oftentimes when I assign a task to my kids, I expect them to sweat and burn the energy and do whatever needs to be done to get it done. But Peter says this about this goal, about this strategy. The power source is so unique. It says, his divine power has given you all things that that pertains to life and godliness. So while the goal is godliness, the power source is God himself granting you everything that you need. And how do we connect to this power source, you might be asking? Well, the text would say knowing and trusting in the promises of God. He has granted to us his precious and his very great promises so that through them, through them, you might become partakers of this divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. You know, when I think about the promises that God has given us in his word, I'm blown away in, which the, in the ways in which God has, has seen fit to bless us with everything we need to succeed in our walks with him. He's promised us power. Philippians 4.13, you might be familiar with this passage. It says, I can do all things through who? Christ, who gives me strength. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord will find their strength. Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do, to work of his good pleasure, right? His very great and precious promises. He promises the power. He promises presence in our lives. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. His presence is a defining mark, a defining quality of the people of God. It's a defining mark for us as believers, his presence in our lives. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, when I possess Christ, I have everything that I could ever want. So why in the world would I chase after something else in this world? 
His presence. Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's with us. He's promised us power. He's promised us presence. He's promised us perseverance. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. You see, this idea of perseverance is, yes, we work, but more importantly, it's God working in us, God working through us, his power persevering in us. He will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he did also predestine to be conformed into the image of his son that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is persevering in each and every person here. Now, you might be asking yourself, Mike, why does all this matter? Well, brothers and sisters, know that you have a God who's dialed into your struggles. He's dialed into your cares. He's dialed into your weights. He's dialed into your pains, to your hurts, to your disappointments. He's dialed into every aspect of your life. When your friends and your family members are struggling when your neighbor who's been a friend for many years passes away unexpectedly. God knows. God cares. And his divine power is giving you all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's giving you everything that you need. And this is the only source to living an effective Christian life for God. So the question really is, as we think about this means to leading an effective Christian life. Are you leaning in? Are you leaning into the promises of God this morning? Or are you resting in something else? Something else outside of his goodness. Something else outside of his grace. Are you leaning on your own ability to provide? Are you leaning on your own emotional stamina to carry you through? Are you leaning on your own physical health to get you to where you need to go? Or are you resting in the promises of an unshakable God. That's the means. Let's take a look at the method, verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. Let's read these again, and then we're going to come back and we're going to break them apart. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, Self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You know, it's, it's important, it's imperative, I would even say, that as we look at this section, and we understand this section, it's not as much a command, but rather a description of what God has furnished for us through his divine power through his very great and precious promises. In other words, we could say, since God has given his great and precious promises, therefore strive. Make every effort. Be because you are, right? Identity defines our reality. 
So be because you are. God has made you and is making you into the image of his son. Therefore, strive. And there really is a difference. This isn't a command that says, that, that says do so that you may become. It's be because you are. And we have to see that. You know, if we were to translate this more literally, it wouldn't probably say add to your faith virtue and so on and so forth, but rather furnish in your faith virtue. You can kind of hear this surging forward in, in our pursuit of the goal, which is godliness, right? You can hear this forward, on, push on. If we render it like this, as you've obtained faith in Christ and you stand in it, apply yourself diligently to advance in moral excellence. And as you stand in that, don't be satisfied, but press on to increase in your knowledge of God's will. And as you stand in that, don't be satisfied, but be diligent to enlarge your capacities of self-control and masteries of your passions. And as you stand in that, don't be satisfied, but cultivate every form of patience and serenity and peace. And in that, let devoutness and piety and sweet love to God flourish. And in that, strive to kindle your affection for other believers. And in and through it all, grow in the love of all men. In other words, forward, forward, forward. Press on, advance, continue striving. Let's break these apart one at a time so as to really understand what it is that Peter's unpacking here for us as we consider the method to growing into all that God has for us. He says this, for, for this very reason, make every effort to furnish in your faith. And the very first item he says is virtue. Okay, when you think of virtue, here's what I want you to think of. I want you to think of choices, okay? Success in life is, is defined oftentimes by choices, critical choices made at, at, at critical points, right? And that line can sometimes feel razor thin. But as Peter is saying, you know what? To, to, to receive and to, to embrace this life of godliness, we need to make good choices. Choices about how I use my time. You know, for me, those virtuous choices start at 5.30 in the morning when I have the decision to wake up, spend time reading my word, reading the word of God, spend time in prayer, or hit my snooze. That's my choice, right? I have that option. <laughs> I think all of us face with that, right? Making good choices with how I use my time. And as I go about my day, I'm, I'm faced with those same types of choices. The best way to use my time, I come home after a long day and I'm, I'm beat. I work out of my house many of the days, but I, I finish my day and I'm exhausted and I have kids that come home from school and they want to play and they want to engage in this, that, and the other. Well, you know what? I have a choice. I can invest in my child in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord, or I can say, you know what? This time is mine. I can selfishly hoard it to myself. How I use my time is a critical choice. Where do I spend my resources? You know, you want, a, you want a, a good test for where our loves are and, and where our deepest passions are? Take your bank statement and start throwing everything into categories to determine where things are going, where monies are being spent. I did that once, and it, it blew me away at how much money I was spending on my own entertainment, comparatively speaking, with how I'm giving to the ministry that God has laid in front of me. 
where I spend my resources would be a virtuous choice, right? The values I set for my kids. Little things where you say, you know what, games on Sunday or be in church on Sunday. No to activities on, on, on nights where they can be fed or being engaged in everything that's going on in the services. You know, you have that opportunity to make those decisions. You want to grow in your faith, it starts with virtue. The ways I love and I serve my wife. Choices. Make every effort to furnish in your faith virtue. I don't know about you, but as I'm studying this text, it's hit me right between the eyes about how many selfish choices I make during the course of my day. How many selfish choices I make during the course of my week. And if I add up all 40 years of my life, how many selfish choices I have made during the course of my life. And I wonder why sometimes I feel like I'm stagnant in my walk with God. Maybe it starts with choices, right? Furnish in your faith virtue. But Peter doesn't stop there. He moves on from there to knowledge, right? Also in verse 5. So this knowledge is, it can be characterized by a word, I think, appetite. Appetite. That's what I want you to remember. So virtue would be choices. Knowledge would be growing all that God has for us. Then the appetite needs to be a spiritual appetite, right? An insatiable appetite. I can't get enough of God's truth. Because you know what? If I don't have God's truth, then am I going to be anchored in his promises? If I don't have his word hidden in my heart, am I going to be able to resist the temptations of the devil? I have to have this appetite. My heart needs to yearn for that which gives life. There's a verse that I want you to write down. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And Paul writes this. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, whatsoever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And you might be thinking about that grid and saying, Mike, that's a, that's a pretty tight grid. If I start filtering everything through that grid, what's left? Well, everything falls into two categories. Is it life-giving or is it life-sucking? So much of our time and our energy and our resources are spent in things that are sucking the life and the energy out of our walk with God. And I think Peter would be saying here, you know what? If you want to grow into all that God has for you, start getting serious about those things that are going to give you life. Start getting serious about those things that are going to feed your soul. Furnish in your faith knowledge. You know, I think the American church, by and large, is full of spiritual infants and toddlers because we've got churches full of people that are making choices for themselves and avoiding the things that are going to help us grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, here's the deal. When we talk about this appetite, we talk about knowledge. This appetite is not only for me. It's great for me. But it's also for those who follow hard after me. There were some, some serious reality checks for me in my, in my walk with God as it pertains to my kids. You know, I mean, prior to having kids, you know, you tend to make decisions and things kind of happen and you don't really 
sweat it because it primarily affects you. But when you start to notice that you've got little eyes watching you, observing you, wanting to be like you, aspiring to those things that define you, that's a sobering reality. So I'm going to ask you this. Are we, are we faithful to demonstrate this insatiable appetite for the things of God and his truth to our families? If I were to ask you personally, how was your quiet time this week? What would you answer? Tell me about your daily regimens being in the word. How would you answer that? If I were to ask your kids what are mom and dad most passionate about in their walks with God, what would they say? Cars, sports, can't be the Lions. Nobody cheers for the Lions anymore, right? Sorry. I'm a Packer fan. You're welcome. But you know, these areas are foundational to our growth as believers. I would say without virtue and knowledge, growing on up into maturity will never Happen. Therefore, Peter says, make every effort to furnish in your faith right choices and an insatiable appetite for the things of God. But he goes on from there. Verse 6, he talks about self-control. Self-control. Allow your growing faith in the steadfast promises of God to bridle your passions. Okay? Self-control hits us in so many ways. I think all of us are touched by this area of growth. An ability to say no. An ability to choose rightly. An ability to, to resist those urges that well up inside of us. All those things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh. If it feels good, do it. The lust of the eyes. I'm going to see it and I'm going to long for it. The pride of life, they're in the world. Peter is telling us, avoid it. He longs to see us grow in this ability to resist. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans 6. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. How can we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? Don't you know? That if, you were, that if you were buried with him by immersion into his death, you were also raised with him to walk in a newness of life. God has given us life. Therefore, say no to those things that are causing spiritual death. Right? Furnish in your faith self-control. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This idea of self-control is, is resisting those appetites for fleshly things. Resisting those appetites for sinful things so that we can find our ultimate satisfaction in the righteousness of God. James 4, 7, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Stand in the promises of God. Stay anchored in the fact that he has given you everything you need. And resist that we might grow. Not only self-control, but steadfastness. Verse 6, remain anchored, tethered 
to the knowledge of the truth, ready to weather anything that comes your way. As we're growing and as we're surging forward in our walks with God, there's a sure-footedness. There's that reality that says, you know what? God's had me in the past. He's got me now. He will take care of me long into the future. He was up all night caring for me. He will be continuously up all night caring for me. The very hairs on my bald head are numbered. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without God being aware. So be tethered to that, right? Be anchored in that. Have our hearts fixating on that. Ready to weather any storm that comes our way. You know, when these areas are firmly established in our walk with God, they provide disciplined footing. You know, virtue and knowledge are all about foundational growth, but this this idea of self-control and steadfastness gives us the, the disciplined footing that enables us to move onward and to continue to surge in our walk with God. You know, someone shared with me once an illustration that really put it into perspective for me and helped me to get my head around this idea of success in my walk with God. He said, success is driven, think of it like a chariot, it's driven by two horses. One of those horses is discipline, the other horse is desire. Together, those horses pull in a straight line and propel you forward. So many times we get to a place where we say, you know what, I want to walk in a way that's honoring to the Lord. So we have the desire. The desire's there, right? I think if I were to ask any of you individually, do you want to lead a successful Christian life? I can't think of a single person in this room that would say, no, that's not for me. Ah, success, who cares? No, we'd all say, yeah, absolutely, Mike. The desire is there for me. I want to move in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. Yes, great. So let's talk about the steps, the disciplined steps that are going to propel that forward. Ugh. Really? Well, guess what? A year from now, you're going to be in the same spot because you've got a one-horse chariot that's doing circles because you're lacking the discipline to propel that desire in a direction that brings honor and glory to the Lord. Self-control, steadfastness, right choices, running hard after truth provides that disciplined footing that propels that passion in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. It guards us from the missteps. You might be saying, Mike, you don't know my battle with lust or alcoholism or anger or bitterness or laziness or gluttony or pride or insecurities or self-consciousness. Brothers and sisters, God has given you all things you need in, this very, in his very great and precious promises to rise above and to experience victory. So the question for a believer is never can you do it. It's are you leaning into the promises of a good God? Are you resting in his greatness, in his power, in his might? To accomplish in you what the cross already accomplished, right? Moving us closer to the image of his son. So this final grouping, these last couple are, are so important. You know, as we continue to press on to advance, God is faithful, verse 6. This Godward affection 
You know, I think this Godward affection is seen both inwardly as a deep-rooted love or affection for God and His goodness. But also loving the work that He's doing in our hearts, rejoicing in the momentary pain that is producing a depth in our walk with Him. This inward affection also fleshes itself out in the way that I interact with other people. It fleshes itself out in my worship when I gather with God's people. It fleshes itself out in the way I talk about his truth to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my family. It fleshes itself out in my priorities. Peter says, God is furnishing for you all these things so that you might have this godliness, this, this reverence towards him, this life that reflects his grace and his goodness. Press on, surge forward, strive, make every effort. But not only that, verse 7, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. You see, all these things are cultivating in us as we're growing, right? They're cultivating in us this Christ-likeness, this gratitude for all that God has furnished for us, this appetite for him that's insatiable, and as it's growing in me, you know what? I'm looking outside and I'm, I'm seeing a world. I'm seeing my church family through the lens of God's grace. And as God has impacted my heart with grace, my responsibility is to flesh that grace out to you, right? The principle is simple. Grace to me, grace to you. This brotherly kindness helps me understand that we're all people in process. We're all growing together into the image of God's Son. We're all in different places in this journey. We're all desperate. We're all dire. So, what do we do with it? Well, biblical community, right? Growing together, bearing one another's burdens, loving one another with the gospel, reminding one another of the very great and precious promises that God has been so faithful to give us in his word. Leading one another back to the cross. You see, when I'm going through struggles, what I often want in my flesh is someone to commiserate with me in my grief. What I need is a brother to come around me and say, hey, you know what, that bag looks heavy. Let me help you carry it. Better yet, let's take it together to the cross. Let's get on our faces before God and pray and trust that he's going to give you what you need to carry you through. Brotherly kindness. And all of these traits are characterized or ultimately lead to this final one. Verse 7, love. Love. Now this is not a, a, a mushy-gushy, sappy kind of love. This is a I will go to the ends of the earth for you kind of love. This is a I will go to the cross for you kind of love. The essence of this love is giving that others may prosper. It's a mindset that's looking outside of yourself, looking to the needs of the world. When Jesus looked at the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep having no shepherd, that was the love that he's talking about here in, first, or in Second Peter. You know, this love ought to transform our hearts. But you know, we're never going to get to that point if we're not supplementing our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness. We're not going to get there. 
But you know, as we're striving, as we're moving forward, as we're surging in our walk with God, God is faithful through his very great and precious promises to produce this in his church. So we've looked at the means this morning. We've looked at the method this morning. We're going to lastly camp on the outcome. The outcome. Verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail, never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. The outcome, well, you know what? If these qualities are yours and are flourishing, you can bank on effectiveness in your walk with God. You can bank on effectiveness. They keep you from being ineffective, it says. Accomplishing your purpose, living in a way that brings honor and glory to your Savior. Conducting your lives in a manner that reflects the great price for which you've been purchased. If these qualities are yours, they lead you to an effective walk. They lead you to a, a fruitful walk. Because you know, God has invested in you. Think of God as the, the master gardener, right? He's produced life. He's nurturing that life. He's carrying it along. And when God is faithful to bring life, guess what that life produces? More life, more fruit. You might look at your life and say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of leading a fruitless life right now. Well, go back to what it is that we're supposed to be growing in and answer the question, where am I struggling right now? Chances are it goes all the way back to the very beginning with virtue and knowledge. Or leaning into the promises of God. But you know, if these traits are yours and are increasing and you're flourishing in them, it leads to effectiveness. It leads to fruitfulness. It leads to security in verse 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living and walking in a way that God has made you is a sign of life. And the benefit of life is eternity with God in heaven. See, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we're lost. Apart from him, we are sons and daughters of disobedience, walking according to the course of this world. It's grace, we have everything we need. We have everything we need. Embracing his promises secures an inheritance. God will richly provide entrance into his eternal kingdom. Living life in this way is a defining characteristic of those purchased by the blood of Jesus. But you know, the other side of that coin, a life deficient in these traits, it's visionless. Visionless. 
aimless, wandering, abandonment of purpose, struggling to see. The text says it's blind and cannot see afar off. Why can't you see afar off? Well, all you're seeing is your own inefficiency, your own ineffectiveness, your own inability to do what you think you should be doing, right? You're, you're fixating on yourself and you're failing to see God. You're blind. You're blind. But not only that, you're doubtful. You lack confidence that your faith is real. How many, how many times, if we're being honest, how many times during our walks with God have we ever said, I wonder if I'm truly a believer? How many of you would be willing to say at some point in your journey you've wrestled with the legitimacy of your faith in God? Okay, I'm not alone in that. I would say that oftentimes we doubt because we're failing to live in the way that God intended for us to live. Whoever lacks these traits is blind, cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he's been cleansed. You're forgetting you've been cleansed. You're, you're wondering why you're feeling like a duck. Well, guess what? You're quacking like a duck right now. So you don't want to feel like a duck? Quit quacking like a duck and live like the person God intended you to be. Right? Start living and walking in a way that reflects his grace and his goodness and reflects the reality that you're leaning in on his great and precious promises. Then the security comes. Then the peace comes. Because you're living out what God has made you to be. You know, as we wrap up our time here this morning, I'm going to invite the worship team up. Some of you might be here today and you're saying, Mike, that ineffective life defines my struggle. Day in, day out, I often find myself in a place where I am doubtful. Questioning my faith. Am I really God's child? Or maybe you say, you know what? I'm, I'm purposeless. I feel like I'm just wandering. Wandering aimlessly through life. Struggling to find my purpose. Or I'm insecure. Or I'm undisciplined. And the question is super simple. Are you living as God intended for you to live? Are you growing? Are you... Are you furnishing in your faith those things which God has purchased for you with the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ? Are you anchored in your identity this morning? 